Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Buck Sexton Show. We are joined by Caroline Levitt. She is a Gen Z conservative, a newly minted Newsmax contributor. She formerly worked in the Trump White House and was deputy to our friend Kaylee McEnany. She also ran for New Hampshire's first district. The congressional seat up there was the youngest person ever, I believe, to actually be the nominee for either party. Uh, so pretty cool stuff. And Caroline joins us now talking uh, talk to her about a whole bunch of things. Caroline, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Buck. It's great to be with you. So let's let's start with this. So you're going to run for Congress, right? When you're when you're in that mindset, you're going to run for Congress. What was the stuff that you learned about that? Right. I mean, just for everybody, you're you're in your mid 20s. You are Gen Z. So I'll have, you know, I'm a millennial technically. And Clay, my co-host, is Gen X. And so we just uh, the only thing we agree on is that Gen Z is definitely trying to destroy America. But you are trying to save America. But back to uh, Congress and, and running. What's some of the stuff that you had to figure out? You had to learn along the way that maybe you didn't anticipate. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would not disagree with you and Clay on that assessment. I recently wrote a piece for Fox after running, and I wrote that Gen Z is the most faithless, brainwashed, anti-American generation in history. And I believe that to be true. It's sad what has become of my generation. I live amongst them. Like, they're literally my former college roommates, my former teammates who I played softball with growing up. Uh, They are my friends, my former colleagues, and I'm watching this indoctrination of my generation, which is what compelled me to run for Congress in the first place. And I mean, I could sit here all night and tell you what I learned throughout the experience of running for Congress. I will say this, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into when I decided I wanted to run. I thought I did at the time. I thought, you know, I had the chops. I had worked on Capitol Hill. Uh, I had worked in the White House. I did um, several different internships and jobs for different campaigns throughout college. Um, But I have so much respect for candidates that put themselves out there because it really is a whole different ballgame. You have to be disciplined. You have to be on your toes. You're always on. Like part of it is like, you almost feel like you're like an actor or an actress. You are always on in the grocery store, in the pharmacy, at the gas station, you're running into constituents and voters and you're constantly 
just pitching yourself, whether it's to a donor or to a group of voters. Uh, it never ends, literally. So it's a ton of work. Anyone who does it, again, I have a lot of respect and kudos to all those that won their races. Unfortunately, I did not for, I think, a litany of reasons. But we were the nominee. We came out of the really competitive primary field and pretty much shocked, definitely shocked the establishment. They spent $4 million against me and we won by 10. So it was a huge victory, learned a lot. And I'm looking to you know, help other candidates that want to step up and run because I know how difficult and challenging it is. By the way, what do you think, if you were just giving the most honest after action report you could of why yeah. you didn't win it this time. I'm sure we'll have a different conversation in the future. If you decide to run again, you may decide you like media a lot. People always ask me, they say, would you run for office? I'm like, no, this job is way too much fun. Uh, but anyway, if you do run for office, um, but what do you think happened there? Because I think that the after action in general for the midterm election is really important and is still pretty contentious among Republicans. For sure. And I think, you know, we could talk about it broadly speaking, but every race, every district especially is really unique. I think for here in New Hampshire, what happened was a couple of things. First of all, we have this terrible same day registration voting law and the Democrats capitalize on it. You know, it sucks. You can show up in New Hampshire. You don't have to show an ID. You can say, I live at four Elm Street and I want to vote in today's election. Well, okay, that's fine. They let you cast your ballot and then you don't actually have to show proof of uh, your identification until like, I think it's 90 days after the election. Well, I mean, it's already set in stone. Like my opponent has already swore the oath to office. So, um, but that's our law. And the GOP, frankly, I think nationwide needs to understand our voting laws and we have to play the game that the Democrats do. And we have to take advantage of these laws. And unfortunately, we didn't do that as a campaign well enough, I think, and um, the RNC and the GOP in our state just weren't there. And then I do think the issue of abortion um, did hurt Republicans. I'm pro-life, proudly so. I was never going to be a hypocrite. I was never going to be a liar. So I took my positions till the end and we fought and I had a lot of tough discussions with people, but I wasn't going to turn back on my convictions and, you know, the values that I really, truly believe in. So um, unfortunately, I do think people voted on emotion, not on fact. Um, and a lot of misinformed voters went to the polls thinking that I was going to take away all their rights when, in fact, it's just not true. And so, it's sad so to have seen that with a lot of Republicans across the country. So having fought in this battle personally of the uh, 2022 midterms, would you just tell anybody listening that, this is a, a constant discussion. We have this on the on the radio show a lot that if they want to win, the Republicans have to get used to mail in balloting where it's legal, uh, early voting where it's legal, ballot harvesting where it's legal, not everywhere. Of course. I mean, if that's the laws and we can't change the law because we have a Democrat controlled legislature in your state or you have a Democrat governor. I mean, look at California, right? Why aren't we doing the same thing? The Democrats are so smart. They're planning. They're playing chess. We're playing checkers. And it's time to change that. Uh, and one of the things here in New Hampshire that we face is uh, college students voting in our election, students that don't live here full time. They don't pay taxes here. They don't own property here, but they are allowed to vote. Look, that sucks. I disagree with it. I hope that our governor changes that law. I'm going to put some pressure on our legislature this session to do it because I think it's a real fault for uh, both candidates on both sides of the aisle. And it's disservice to the people that actually live here and pay taxes and have jobs in New Hampshire, real New Hampshire citizens. But uh, nevertheless, until that law's changed, 
you know, we got to get on board and we should be busing college students to the polls to vote for GOP candidates because that's what the Democrats do. We haven't done it in the past uh, and we should do that moving forward in every single state. That has to be a huge monumental foundational shift in the RNC strategy moving forward. Now, I know you were a softball player, speaking of college, in college. Um, yes, sir. And right, which I'm sure that that must have been a lot of fun. By the way, were you a, were you a, a pitcher? What did you play? No, I was a third baseman, the hot corner. Third so, baseman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played softball and field hockey my whole life growing up. And uh, softball is what led me to this, the D2 school that I went to. I went on a scholarship. And it was a very politically school, ironically. And that's how I got my my feet wet in politics, if you will. Well, yeah, t- um, tell me about this, because people ask me. I-, I wanted to ask you about the, the trans competition in college sports thing, which we can get to in a second. Um, yeah. Uh, but but first, you know, people ask me, like, when did you become conservative? And I generally say to them um, that it was like I showed up to college assuming that other people were normal and found out right. that ever almost everyone around me had been brainwashed and was crazy. And then I found out that the term for this is you're a conservative. And so you just went through this process not that long ago. Is that what happened? What, what school was it, by the way? You're up. Was it up in New Hampshire? Yes, it was. It's called St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire. It's a D2 school, small school, um, but they have an institute of politics on their campus. And I didn't even know that until I went there. But because of the first in the nation primary that now Joe Biden and the Democrats are trying to rip away from us up here in the good old granite state, uh, that's a huge part of where I came into politics. My family is not political. I mean, my brothers like still don't have any idea what I just did. They're like, what is running for Congress, dude? Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Um, You know, we're a business family. We have a car dealership. We had an ice cream stand. So, you know, I guess I was raised on conservative values. My dad served in the Marine Corps. You know, I was never allowed to miss school. I was taught to work hard, you know, basic common sense values that unfortunately have become conservative rather than just American. Um, But I was raised in in a conservative household, if you will. And then when I got to college, same point as you, Buck, I was like, why don't other people feel this way? Like, why does everyone hate Donald Trump? It was the 2016 election, actually, when I was a college student. So um, I was I found myself to be one of the few conservatives on campus, and I was not shy about it. I wrote editorials in the school newspaper blasting my liberal professors. I said it's insulting that they think that every kid in the class hates Trump. There's kids. I actually... I put a, an op-ed in the college paper um, way back in the day defending Trump's travel ban, which was really controversial at the time. And so um, that, that was helpful in the GOP primary when people were trying to knock my conservative creds. I was like, no, 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 I'm a conservative through and through, always have been. And uh, certainly, I think, even more so now after running for Congress. I want to get back into the college politics discussion in a second. But do you have you ever been the uh, subject of an identity theft? Hold on one second. Hold on one second, because if you or anyone else out there has, they know what it's like. It sucks. They'll take loans out on your name, credit cards, all kinds of stuff. Data breaches happen all the time, my friends. That's why you need LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock detects and alerts you to potential identity threats you may not spot on your own, like loans taken out in your name or, you know, something even more crazy. They can even try to buy a house, do all kinds of things. If you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will work to fix it. And this is why you need LifeLock. They're watching out for you and they've got your back all the time. Now, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can help protect yourself online with LifeLock. I've relied on them for years and I've actually been the victim of identity theft, believe it or not. 
And they helped me out. They had a specialist fix it for me. So join now. Save up a 25% off your first year with promo code Buck. Go to LifeLock.com. Use promo code Buck or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. Make sure you use promo code Buck for 25% off. Important tip for my friend Caroline. You don't want identity theft to happen to you, Caroline. It sucks. All of a sudden, they're like, you owe thousands of dollars for a cable company. I was like, I never even, I didn't live in the state. I didn't even have this cable company. It was crazy what they can do. They get a hold of your social security number anyway. So um, back to the college situation. Did you ever have to deal with, I mean, let me just ask, did you ever compete against, because this is a relatively new phenomenon, but you were in school when these things were, uh, you know, coming, becoming more commonplace, the trans athlete situation. Like, did you have to, uh, do you have to play against a trans athlete on the, uh, in softball ever, or is this not something that you personally experienced? No, never. And I thank God every day that I didn't have to do that because having played third base, right, like charging at the plate, especially in softball, you have a lot of those slap hitters, the lefties that come up and they fake bunt, but then they actually take a full swing and hit a line drive. I mean, I was fearless back in the day. I would literally charge at home plate to try and scoop the bunt and get the out, right? I cannot imagine doing that with a full-sized man like yourself, Buck, a big, macho, masculine man getting up to the plate and swinging away at me. I mean, my face would not look like this if that were the case. So, uh, uh, Actually, I'll tell you a true story from when I was I went to St. David's. Uh, I was a Catholic school in, in Manhattan. I always remember this. My English teacher, Mr. Ryan, was out for like a week or two. And, um, and, and I remember I saw him. I was a little kid. This really stuck with me. His face, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was just... The whole thing was black and swollen and completely messed up. He had to have, I think it was eye socket surgery because he was playing in a men's, Mr. Ryan, I remember this, a men's softball league, and he was the pitcher, and he got just wrecked right in the face. And that was softball, yeah. but the ball is not soft, as you as you well know, especially if it's hit really, really hard. No, it's not soft. And the, the field is actually smaller, obviously, than a baseball field. I'll never forget ESPN did a, uh, a documentary back in the day when Jenny Finch, remember her? She was like the pretty blonde, very, I guess, famous in the softball world pitcher. But anyway, they did a, they did a um, scientific documentary and proved, ESPN did, this is not my words, Buck, that it is actually harder to hit a softball in a fast pitch softball game than a baseball in an MLB baseball game. So wow. there's your fun fact. I, I do think. So that mentioned the. I, well, I was going to say that that he also he said afterwards, this teacher, I remember he was talking to all the students because we were all asking, like, oh, my God, what happened to your face? That it's actually worse since if you're men playing softball in the same kind of field with that with that is worse because there's no reaction time if you're the pitcher. That's what he said. At least that was his claim. So anyway, things can happen out there. They always just I played a very little bit of baseball. There were other sports that I played. I played a very little bit of baseball and they would always say. The ball's only going to hurt you if you're afraid of it. And I remember I was a kid. I used to, I was very inquisitive. You know, I was like a little Socrates walking around. I was like, I don't think that's true. I think you could get hurt even if you're not afraid of it. I think if you get clocked in the face, it's going to hurt. So that's just my theory. And that's when you knew you were going to be an excellent podcast host. I was going to say, very good tennis, <laughs> tennis, wrote a little crew in college, a little bit of tennis, you know, things like that. That was my, more my speed. Nothing that, nothing um, that would be, uh, you know, a, a danger to all this going on here so um college you didn't deal with that but I, obviously the arguments i'm just wondering like did that ever come up among the athletes at your school did you guys ever talk about having to compete against a biological male would your school have allowed it you think you know it's hard to say you know it's a small catholic school 
Um, but they've done things since I've graduated that I've been disappointed in, like the vaccine mandate and other other stuff. They have a, a woke administration now, which is sad to see, like a lot of higher education universities um, across the country. I never dealt with it. I played sports, like I said, my entire life. This really is, I believe, a new phenomenon that's really just taken speed over the last two or three years. And I've been really outspoken on it because I know how hard I worked to receive that scholarship. And, you know, D2 for me, that was the highest level I could play at, but it was still a dream come true. And I spent every summer with my dad, literally every summer for five, six, seven years, traveling to tournaments around this country every single weekend. And I know so many girls that have had that same experience. And to think that, you know, they could work so hard, go to college, play on a team, at the highest level and then have either their starting position taken from them or be in a position where they're going to be seriously injured or just completely destroyed. I mean, you look at Leah Thomas just whipping these girls' butts in the swimming pool. It's like no crap. Like, look at the size of her hands. Look at the size of her feet. She, it's it's not a her. It's a him. It's a, it's a man. And, like, it's just mind-boggling to me that this is acceptable in our society. And as a young woman and a former athlete, it, it infuriates me. And uh, I know it does for many other female athletes as well. So uh, how long are you working in the White House for the Trump administration? <sighs> so I got there in 2018 and then unfortunately got my job uh, stolen from me in 2020. So I stayed through the election in 2020. I started in a real nitty gritty role. I was literally writing letters and messages and um, proclamations for the president, which was like, I mean, it was it was a shit job. If I, I excuse my French, if I can say that, but it got my foot in the door. I, I, we're and a podcast. I, I think you could say anything, and people make fun of me because I still don't. They know me in real life, and I curse plenty, but I never curse here. But you can, so go keep going. Well, thanks for their permission. Mm -hmm. uh, you might regret that. No, so I just worked really hard, and then um, Kaylee McEnany was brought in. She, I had heard she wanted to revamp her entire team. It was always my goal to work in the press office. I had done some media work in college at some local stations up here. And so I felt like my skills were well suited for that role. And uh, one thing led to the next. And I was one of the first hires on Kaylee's new team. So that was an amazing job. I certainly would probably still be there um, if, you know, President uh, Trump was still in office. A there, lot there of things some would be there. More serious aspects of this I, I do want to ask you about, but obviously you're in the Trump White House. The mm -hmm. big guy is there. By the way, every time he sees me, he says, Best hair in television. That's what he says, which I always really appreciate. So he's very he's now won me over forever. That's what the Trumpster says. At least he said it twice. I think he forgot that he said it to me the first time. But you you must have uh, a, a Trump story that you could share with us. Something just about what it's like to be around the big guy in the big house, yeah. in the White House. Give us give us some Trump lore. Yeah, I have I have plenty of stories. I'll tell one. Um, first of all, I was there through probably the most tumultuous time of the administration. I mean, we were there through COVID. I was there through the summer of love, as CNN called it, aka the Black Lives Matter Marxist terrorists destroying our country and burning down DC. So that was wild. And again, I'm working in the press office, right? So I'm dealing with the hacks in the mainstream media every single day, criticizing everything we were doing and everything the president was doing. I was actually there um, through the COVID pandemic that swept through the West Wing. Many said of my colleagues that I was the one who started that. I don't can't confirm nor deny, but um, I did have to stay out of work for a couple of weeks. We all got the, got the vid at the time. But my favorite Trump story, my favorite funny Trump story was um, one day we were 
getting ready for him to come down for his briefing. He briefed like 70 something days in a row throughout COVID. It was insane. Like Saturdays, Sundays, we were just briefing every day. We had to stay until he was done. So it was long, long days. And one day he came down and he called us all kids in the lower press office We're you know, young, younger staffers. And he'd say, what's up kids. And, you know, go into his rant about who was in the briefing room, what he was going to say. We'd tell him, you know, the news of the day or whatever. And then he did a little dance one day and he goes, I got some new shiny shoes. And sure enough, we looked down and Donald Trump was there right in front of my desk, dancing back and forth, showing off his new shiny black shoes and he loved it and we all just looked at each other for like wait what just happened and he was he was dancing he was having some fun and then he went out and just absolutely ripped the press and it was priceless oh yeah no he's he's very charming and very funny um i actually met him a couple times when i was a kid in new york city way back in the day because you know his children were my peers uh growing up in new york so i i met i knew them and uh, and i met him a couple of times back in the day and he's always been uh a larger-than-life character, that much is, is for sure. Um, the- Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest-growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Anything that you would go back and tell yourself, or actually maybe a better way of putting this, for anyone who is, you know, that, that, it's amazing to be in your in your 20s, your 30s, and, and take a job in the White House, right? I mean, that's just the kind of experience that I think anyone can see it's just something you want and you're, you know, if you can do that, if you can figure it out, you can get there somehow. But is there anything that you would tell anyone considering that or, or just advice that you would give them uh, having spent two years in a, a white house that was effectively under siege? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the first piece of advice that I always tell young folks that say, how did you get that job? Like just put yourself out there. That's like the best. I know it's like so generic and like, I'm not, Einstein sharing news you've never heard, but you know, I wouldn't have gotten into the White House if I had not applied. I literally applied for the job. I went on whitehouse.gov and like filled out this 12 page really? long application. Yeah, I never in a million years thought I was going to get it, but I did it anyway. I remember where I was when I filled out the application. I was in my college at in the um, dining hall. And all my friends were out tailgating at a football game. And I was like, no, I'm going to sit here and apply for this job because if I get it, it'll change my life. And it did like literally changed my life. So then when I got there, you know, I got a promotion because I just met everyone that I could and introduced myself to people. And then the job with Kaylee came and I had a friend who put my resume on her desk. And, you know, you just never know where the next opportunity is going to lead you. And then obviously it led me to running for Congress. And now here I am um, with the next step in my career. So you know, that's my always been my advice is like, put yourself out there. And then once you get there, like, don't stop, don't ever settle, don't be complacent, like, just keep grinding. Because in a really high pressure environment, like the White House, especially the Trump White House, like the cream definitely does rise to the top, there was very high turnover in that White House, I think, because a lot of people just couldn't handle the heat and the pressure. And it's a high pressure job. And it's pretty cutthroat. So you just have to understand that before taking a position and, you know, hold yourself accountable. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine that, especially having a press corps that is really just there to be 
in opposition all the time and try to cut people down and and play the leaks game to the maximum effect. It's I could assume it would be a, a pretty stress, but also a pretty amazing historic and and fascinating uh, place to be. So you're new. You're a granite stater, as I have learned. This is what right. That's that's what the cool kids say. Granite state er right. Yes. Yeah. Thank indeed. you. I learned learn new things. I've learned some things from Caroline. When she came on radio, she explained to me it's Granite State. Uh, so, Because why? Do you remember why? Oh, gosh. I don't know because you guys have a lot of granite. I can't remember. Yes, we have an abundance of granite. It's our well, number one national. There we go. Sometimes you just got to go with your gut. So that's what I did there. Um, yeah. Sell me on New Hampshire a little bit. I, I've spent, okay. you know, I'm a New Yorker, uh, born and raised. I of all of New England, I think actually I've spent less time in Maine, but the rest of New England, I've spent a fair amount of time in New Hampshire. I think I've been in once for politics to interview a bunch of Republican candidates. What are the best things about New Hampshire? New Hampshire is the most underrated state in the country. Okay, let me just start there. First of all, this is where America began. Okay, we are like the birthplace of the American Revolution. Paul Revere, we are right north of Massachusetts. Okay, bear with me. So we have all of this beautiful history here that you just simply don't get out west. We have four seasons. There's never, you never lack anything to do in New Hampshire. In the summer, we have 10 miles of coastline, beautiful beaches. Okay, honestly, the New Hampshire tourism industry should hire me right now. I'm going to be honest with you. How many people listening to this or watching this even knew that New Hampshire had beaches? The answer is not super high. I'm just going to put that out there. One of the smallest coastlines in the country, okay? I'm blessed to live in a little town right off of it. The beach is right behind me outside this window. Ten miles of coast, New Hampshire's beaches are beautiful. We have the mountains, okay? If you like to ski, snowboard, hike, zip line, come on up. In the fall, most beautiful foliage in the world. We have buses and buses. Buses, we call them up here leaf peepers. Leaf peepers, they are like peeping toms that come up here just to look at our leaves. It's kind of weird if you grow up here, but got to respect it. It helps our economy. So we get that in the fall. Spring, kind of crappy, not going to lie. Winter's a little too long, but we do get the full four seasons. Always something to do. We have beautiful lakes. Like I said, beaches. Where I live 45 minutes I'm north just of happy Boston. that leaf okay? peeper was very PG. I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know where that was going. I was like, what is a leaf so, peeper? Like, literally... They literally come here to peep at our leaves. That's that's gotcha. what do. There's some good stuff going on up there. See, this is the thing. There, yeah, also, we're New England, so like we've had. This is title town. Like, so, I so can I bring up what, what I want to? Well, the reason I'm asking you about this, in part, other than just to get to know a little bit about it, and, and for the audience to get to know you and where you come from, we should flip New Hampshire red. And we should we should Florida, New Hampshire. How hard would it be? It's not that big a population state. Look what the commies have done to Vermont. Vermont is a beautiful state. I know there's probably some Vermont, New Hampshire beef, but Vermont is a gorgeous state. Amazing food. Great in the winter. Great in the summer. I'm sure very similar to New Hampshire in terms of activities and a lot of other things going on. The commies from New York and to a lesser extent, you know, Connecticut have made it a just super blue Bernie Sanders place. Can't we make New Hampshire like red? Can't we make New Hampshire the Oklahoma of the Northeast? Yeah, I am a little insulted, first of all, that you said Vermont is so beautiful and amazing, but then you've never been to New Hampshire. Like, Vermont is like the C version of the 
New Hampshire. It's like the B team. We're the A team over here, okay? Because we do have the beach. Good to know. Which I just copy that. We're close to Maine, which is a great state, great lobster. And we're closer to Massachusetts. So if you want to zip down to Boston, catch a Celtics game, go to Fenway Park, go to a Pats game down in Foxborough, you're very close to that. So let me let me just uh, start by saying Vermont sucks and New Hampshire is way better. Can we make it red to the heart of your question? I mean, I just tried to do this. I literally just dedicated two years of my life to trying to flip this district that I live in red. The sad truth about New Hampshire right now is, and a lot of people have called me and said, please run again, you were great, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm very flattered by that, but I think electorally speaking, New Hampshire's gotten so. Like, we had so many migrants move here from New York, from Massachusetts, from California, people buying up property left and right. Our housing market is like depleted because of all these very wealthy out-of-staters that moved here throughout COVID. Uh, and now they're registered as Democrats. Uh, see, this is, really but see, this is what I mean. The, the red, the <laughs> reds, uh, rather the, the red refugees from places like New York and uh, New York and California have gone to Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. So New Hampshire right. has gotten a lot of Democrat refugees from just the high taxes and the close uh, close quarters, et cetera. Right, because we are a New England state, so they think that their politics are safe here, but they should not be. We are the live free or die state. We have no sales tax, no income tax, very business-friendly environment, great Second Amendment culture here as well. We have constitutional carry, so you know, you can carry your gun around on you. You go into Walmart, you're going to see a lot of people packing. So therefore, it's a very safe state as well. So it's sad to see all these Dems move here, which is part of the reason I do want to run again, because I want to turn it around. But I also think um, the chances of a Republican winning a statewide office or a federal seat here, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, and it's it's sad to see to our beautiful live free or die state. So as a, uh, yeah, oh, wait, actually, Important question for you: Do you have a my pillow? Because we need to send you one if you I don't. Do. Yeah, you do because they're amazing. Because you know, Caroline knows the my pillows are phenomenal. People like Caroline and all of you have helped build my pillow into an amazing company. You got to check out the Giza Dream Sheets. Super soft, luxurious. You will love the Giza Dream Sheets. Made from the world's best cotton. They're ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets are at their lowest price ever. Sheets coming in as low as twenty nine ninety eight with promo code Buck. I have Geezy Dream Sheets on my bed. They're amazing. They come in multiple styles, colors, and sizes. Now's the time to upgrade your bedding with the Geezy Dream Sheets. All you have to do is go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Special Square, and check out this flash sale on the Geezy Dream Sheets. When you click on this square, you'll also find deals on other MyPillow products. I love the slippers, for example. But only for a short period of time are you going to get this price. Go to MyPillow.com, promo code BUCK. I didn't even I didn't even ask about this before, and she already has a my pillow because she knows my pillows are amazing. Everyone who tries these things loves them. Yeah. I have several my pillows, and yeah. I do really enjoy them. They're great. I, I love. I legitimately I see Mike Lindell, and I get excited because I'm always like, "Oh my god, I get to have a great time. And I get to talk to Mike and catch up and everything." He's such a cool, such a cool dude. Uh, so fun to talk to. So, um, speaking of fun to talk to, you are a uh, Republican, former Trump White House Gen Z lady. Do what is the do you ever are you able to sift out the sort of beta male MSNBC watching guys from your orbit or if they find out your past, do they play the game a little bit? They pretend they're like, hey, like I like the Constitution, too. Like, let's go get a drink. How does that work? Like, what's that like? These Because, like, for example, I realized later on in life, 
can't I, I you know I'm I'm getting married in a few weeks. She's conservative. Yeah. She works for Fox News. I can't handle the libs. It just it wasn't going to work. Yeah. What do you t- tell me? What that's like with you? And if you have any anecdotes you want to share, by all means. I mean, I do have an anecdote. I could never date a lib. Will never date a lib. I'm sorry. I just I I could never ever do it. I grew up with two older brothers. I'm the youngest of three. I'm the only girl. I have a, like I said, a father who served in the Marine Corps. So I grew up around alpha males. I feel more comfortable around alpha males than I do beta males. I just, the, the femininity that is taking over my generation of, of males, especially is deeply concerning to me for a lot of reasons, but personally as well. Um, I went on a date. This was a couple of years ago. Thankfully, hasn't happened since with a guy, and um, he was actually in law enforcement. So I thought that it was going to be go smooth, you know. I thought, all right, guy serves. That's great. That's cool. And he said, <laughs> he knew he knew where I worked, um, and he said, you know, I thought I, you know, I've liked what Trump has done, but I thought Obama was a great president. I really thought he was great. Yeah, and this was. We hadn't even ordered appetizers yet. So I'm like not even halfway through my drink. And I was like, how do I get out of this? It was a long night. Safe to say, literally never replied to texts again. Never. I've never even told this story. Did he ever, did he ever tell you that he's a, a male feminist? I always wonder how that goes over. <laughs> I, I completely stopped the political conversation in its tracks because I just I couldn't even go there. So I just asked him a million questions about what it's like to be a cop to try and fill time. I ate my, I literally remember I ordered lasagna very quickly. And I was like, nope, don't need dessert. Want me to walk you to your car? I was like, nope, I'm good. Thank you so much for dinner. Ideological alignment. You know, people, I think like people, I mean, I put myself in this category in their 20s. They're kind of just like, oh, it's fine. Like, you can be friends with anybody, but if you're going to spend a lot of time with somebody, um, right. it's, if you're, if you love freedom, if you're a live free or die kind of person, uh, the commies are probably not going to be the way yeah. for anyone at home. And, and I'll tell you, DC, like dating pool there is, it's non-existent. Like any, everyone is either, you know, not, uh, not looking for women, if I could say that, uh, or they're just, they're not, not masculine men. A lot of, a sure. lot of male feminists. Like I said, a lot of guys who think that. A lot of guys think that weeping at the uh, Biden inauguration gets them gets them phone numbers and lots of love from the ladies. So you're a new Newsmax contributor. I'm a, I'm a little I'm not gonna say I'm bitter about this, but I'm a little because like I I had invited you to come on here on the show before this was announced. So now it's like oh Newsmax has found this new star. Be like excuse me, excuse me Newsmax. I asked for her before I even knew that she was a Newsmax contributor, but they made an excellent hire by bringing you on there. Um, uh, wh- where can where can people find you? Wh- what shows are you going to be doing? And, and what are some of your plans uh, going forward here? Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to doing a few different things. One of them is joining the Newsmax team. So I'm excited. I'll be on, frankly, whenever they need me to talk about the transgender athlete issue, to talk about uh, campaigns as they start to heat up again already 2024 what that looks like here in New Hampshire for the first of the nation primary states um, talk about President Trump's run having worked for him and uh, hopefully 
people that in the White House in 24, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. But nevertheless, I'll be on quite often. Uh, and then I'm looking forward to doing some radio work. Maybe I'll even start my own podcast, too. I don't mm-hmm. know. I might be teasing a little project I'm working on. Uh, and then, like I said, I want to continue my personal mission and passion to help other Gen Z, specifically conservative candidates, step up and run for office, whether that's school board for their state senate, state representative, or for Congress. We have to get involved. We have to start speaking truth to our generation because it's going down the tubes. And if we don't start this now, we're not only as a party going to continue to lose elections as the Gen Zers gain more ground in our electorate. People are turning 18 every day. It's not going to stop. Um, we're going to lose elections. We're going to lose America. I fundamentally believe that to my core. So I'll be picking up some projects to help other candidates um, in their own races and take what I learned and hopefully change some hearts and minds, my friend. But if I start a podcast, perhaps you can come on and we'll we'll do some role reversal here. I would be happy to come on the Granite Stater number one podcast or whatever you call it. By all means, Caroline, would love to join. Thank you for coming out, hanging out here on the Buck Saxton Show. We'll get you back on radio soon, and everybody will look for you on Newsmax. And that's going to be it for us here, so we will talk to you later on this week. Shields high. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. Major Turnbull sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber. The complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave him a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's catastrophically injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs.